Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Extra Point is part of the preaching ministry of Marley Baptist Church in East Texas. It provides helpful follow-up to Sunday's message specifically. Uh, Extra Point allows us to discuss some of the extra points from the message that we didn't have time to fully discuss on Sunday. We even like to answer some of your questions, and we don't get a lot of questions. So if you're out there listening and you have a question related to the topic that we're discussing right now, or something else, we'd be glad to answer that. You can submit those at extrapointatmoberly.org. I'm Paul Coleman, the teaching pastor at Moberly, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Greg Martin, who serves here at Moberly as the pastor of Congregational Care. Hey, Greg, how are you? I'm great, Paul. It's good to join you today, and obviously we're kicking off this new series, so I'm excited to get to be a part of talking a little bit about uh, the first week or two. Let me go back and review for uh, just a little bit, if you don't mind. the, the series is called Entangled. Great graphic in the before the sermon that shows a man just being surrounded by a rope that's just tying him down and keeping him from moving forward. But uh, would you review for us just the consequences that relate to this idea of entanglement? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we started this from Hebrews 12.1, where it talks about um, running the race with endurance to be able to, to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And so... Uh, last Sunday's message, there were three main points, and I'm going to make these points throughout the series because they're overarching things that happen whenever we're entangled in sin, whatever the specific sin is. And those are that when we're entangled, our communication with God is interrupted. Our growth, our spiritual growth and progress for God is disrupted. And then our influence for the Lord is corrupted. And so those three things are true. Whenever a person's entangled in sin, even if they don't see those things, they're not aware of that. They usually, as a, if you're a believer, you probably are aware that your communication is interrupted with the Lord. But you may not be as aware that your growth has been uh, disrupted or even your influence, what's happened to your influence. So I think those are three important things that happen anytime a believer especially is Entangled. I love you mentioned the intro video, and I, I told our media guys I should probably give them a shout-out because they did a great job with that. They came up with that on their own. The music, all of it, it's gritty. It's kind of raw, and I, I think that is a good way to communicate the danger of being entangled. I'll tell you a quick story. A, a lady came up to me Sunday and said that a relative of hers, a little nine-year-old boy, was in the service the first week, and he was uh, listening tuned in. And this past week, sometime he was on his iPad and he went to a site that he shouldn't have gone to and shouldn't have been involved in and felt guilty about it, went and told his dad. He said, Dad, I'm sorry. I went to a site I shouldn't have. I saw something I shouldn't have seen and I don't want to become entangled by that. Wow. And I told her, I said, he got it. (laughs) That's it. It's a dangerous thing. Uh, when I was a kid, quicksand was a big deal. Remember that? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Nobody Tr- talks about quicksand. Trigger had anymore. to go pull him out with a rope. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and some of these sci-fi movies I watched, there's these vines that would come up and try to grab you and entangle, you know. So there is a danger, the real danger to being entangled by sin for all of us. And so I, I think he, he got it. 
kind of understood it. You know, one of the you, you kick the series off with one of the first sins that is such a, uh, a sin that is pervasive. I you know I had to stop kick myself the whole time you were preaching the Sunday. <laughs> I saw you kicking yourself. Did you? It was very painful. But uh, <laughs> the the idea of pride, and you gave us a definition that I thought was interesting uh, in terms of a way to look at pride that maybe I'd never looked at it before. Or, yeah. Give us that definition again. It's so amazing. The Greek language is so amazing, and I love to study it. I, you know, oftentimes approach these things. I've preached on pride in the past, but I don't know that I'd ever looked up that specific word. So one of the words for pride in the New Testament is found in 1 John uh, 2.16, where it talks about don't love the world or anything in the world or the things of the world or these different things, including the boastful pride of life. Well, the word for pride literally means um, one who makes empty claims or boasts about having cures to rid people of all their ills, a quack. (laughs) So the point was that someone who's a quack, someone who makes empty claims about being able to cure somebody of all their ills is dishonest. They know good and well they can't cure someone of all their ills, but they're trying to sell snake oil or something else to, to, to pull one over on people, to deceive people. That's the idea of what pride is. Pride is dishonest, essentially. That's one of the points that I made on Sunday. And and so when you think about how pride manifests itself in our lives, it, it's a very dishonest point of view. I talked about three views, the view of God, the view of ourselves, and the view of other people. When you're full of pride or entangled in pride, all three of those views are dishonest. You, you, if you If your view of God is that well, go back and think about Genesis 3. We didn't talk about this on Sunday very much, but that original sin of, of Eve's was that, that Satan or the serpent tempted her uh, with the idea that if she ate the fruit, that she would be able to be like God. And essentially, she could be equal to God or, or you know something like that. That's pride. That's what pride does. Pride causes us to say, it causes us to have a dishonest view of God. I could never be like God. Unfortunately, Greg, you could never be God. Uh I can never be God. So that's dishonest for someone to say that they could be God or to think in their mind that they could replace God in their lives with anything, including themselves, is dishonest. And dishonesty gets to the motive. It's not accidental. It's purposeful. It's intentional on our part. Uh, when I go back to that Genesis three, uh, Genesis three is that uh, to, pride is I've got a I've got a better plan than God has for me. God told me this for my own good, but I've got a better plan. And so, exactly. how again, how we view God, you know, relates to uh, this idea of pride. So probably most of us know someone who's full of pride. I used an example actually at the beginning of the message of someone that I encountered when I before I was a believer, a fellow teenager, because I was 15 when I met Jesus. And the week that I met Jesus, I was at a youth camp <clears throat> with a guy named Dave from another church who was so different than any other male teenager that I'd ever been around because he wasn't full of pride. He was full of humility. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he was full of humility. And so God used his humility to attract me to the gospel. You got any stories about something like that? Yeah, it's funny. I was 
thinking about that. You know, some of it is adult life, but let me let me go back to my my life back in Grand Prairie. I, I was the ninth grade director and uh, teacher for the Sunday school for for many years there. And one year, I had two two guys in my class, both great guys, both best friends. One of them was really brash, really kind of full of himself, really just uh, bright personality, but he knew it. And, you know, he, he wasn't a bad kid or anything like that. I mean, he was a leader. Um, fast forward, great young man, went into the ministry, but but fell. Oh, wow. Some of that, some of that, and I think some of that arrogance, some of that pride, some of that look at me, contrast that to his best friend was I think the nicest ninth grade kid I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. He would come in and if we had snacks in in the Sunday school class, he would look around and make sure that everybody else had some before he would take some. He sounds a lot like you. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd be more like the first one. I don't no, know. I don't but think he so. he just had a great kind heart and uh, very humble, very smart, great baseball player, all these things. Did all these things. Fast forward, look at his life now. He would, uh, as an adult, there was a there was a handicapped guy in our church that he and I had kind of befriended in different ways, and so he would, when he got married, he would go get this adult handicapped guy. He's probably in his fifties, hmm. so this guy's in his twenties or thirties. Bring him back over to his house and let him spend the night with his family, so he could just have that family. Wow. So just a real, and, huh. and again, the, it's interesting to track that through life. Is your pride yeah. will catch up with you, or your humility will, will, I think, become evident over time. That's a great story, um, and I'm even when you say that. <clears throat> I'm attracted to the humility of that guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Jesus too. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh, giving up his right to be treated like God, humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant, washing his disciples' mm-hmm. feet, making them breakfast on the beach in John 21. All these things. That's what I'm attracted to. That's that's really the kind of person I want to be. You know, I don't know anybody who's full of pride that I would ever want to emulate. Right. Well, like you say, you just see a touch of Jesus in those people who are not self-centered. They're other-centered, and uh, and their ego is not based on what other people think about them. And, and again, those are rare people, and they are, they are. so special, yeah. so incredible to get to be around those kind of people. Yeah, the norm really is we see human pride manifests all around us. <clears throat> when I was a kid— you know, boxing was a big deal. I remember if there was ever a Muhammad Ali or a Joe <laughs> Frazier fight uh, on TV, my dad was going to watch it, and you know, I was going to watch it. And I didn't really like boxing. I didn't uh, the brutality of it. I just never liked that as a kid. Right. It wasn't anything I was attracted to. But I remember Muhammad Ali, and he was, you know, a lot of it now I know was just show. It was part of his his uh, persona. I don't know how much of it was really all that sincere, but he came across so incredibly prideful and arrogant. Mm-hmm. And he was good at what he did, but but I never had any, even as a child, I never had any appreciation for that. I, I thought, I don't I don't want to be like that. I would never want to be like that guy, you know? It's funny, the world is looking for the quacks. Yeah. The world is looking for the people that want to uh, be showy and, and uh, elevate self. Uh, but man, that's certainly not what the Bible teaches in any way, shape, or form. So yeah, when you're entangled in pride, you're aligning yourself with someone who's dishonest because you have a dishonest view of God. You you obviously have a dishonest view of yourself because you seek to elevate yourself. But then 
your view of other people, your the the student you talked about, his view of this man who probably couldn't do anything for him, right? Except that he was a valuable person to God, so he was living the gospel out by including that man in his life. <clears throat> That's a beautiful picture, um, because when you're when you're full of pride or entangled in pride, you tend to devalue people, mm. use people instead of. Um, Valuing them the way that God values them. So, well, you talked about that a little bit. You talked about uh, what what it does to our influence when we when we uh, have are full of pride. Yeah, think about that. So, if you know a Christian um, that is entangled in pride, they're braggadocious. They're they put other people down. They talk bad about other people, or they talk a lot about themselves, <laughs> what they're good at, what they can accomplish, you know, or you could just tell life's about them. Well, those most people, anyone, probably knows that that and Jesus don't go together. Mm-hmm. It's oil and water. They really don't fit together. <clears throat> but when a person is that way and they claim to know Christ or follow Christ, their influence is actually, it's, it is corrupted. It actually creates in people this desire to not want anything to do with Christ. I said I was attracted to Christ by the humility of this young man in my life. Um, when you live the false narrative of that you're the most important person in the world or you're more important than the Lord or you're more important than other people, you, you're you not attracting anyone to God. You're repelling people mm. away from the gospel. So our pride, <clears throat> I said this in the message that pride is one of those systemic sins that it's the root. If we deal just with the fruit, the symptoms, we don't deal with the root. We always will deal with the fruit. But we, if we deal with the root, then we also deal with the fruit. So dealing with pride in our lives, refusing to allow pride to entangle us, bears a lot of – humility bears a lot of great fruit in our lives if we refuse to let pride take root in our lives. You know, I, I, I just – for some reason thinking about John the Baptist here because we, we talked about – Pride points to myself, whereas humility points to Christ. Mm-hmm. And and John the Baptist could have very easily been very proud of the the influence that he had, the sway that he had. But I, I think about you know things that were said like, you know, uh, I'm not even worthy to bear his sandals. You yeah. know, and I, yeah. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And mm-hmm. you know the whole idea behind it is of of, of I must uh, decrease right. while he increases. Is, is what a what a picture of humility because he recognized, and that's the hard part about it is when I elevate myself, it benefits nobody. That's right. But when yeah, I elevate, not even me. <laughs> when I elevate Christ, when I appoint to him, man, lives are, he's the life changer. He's mm-hmm. the life giver. And sometimes we, you know, and, and we can do this in ministry, you know, boy, sure. look at me. I'm, I'm bringing new life to people. Well, oh, yeah. here's the truth. The truth is Jesus is the only one that can do that kind of a thing. So, an accurate picture of who God is, who Christ is, and who I am doesn't mean I'm, you know, uh, I'm of no value. Right. I'm no, of infinite no, no. value, but right. infinite value in Christ. Yeah. So I talked about this idea of when you're entangled, one of the ways that that entanglement, when you're entangled in pride, one of the ways it manifests itself in our lives is through independence. Um, and I made this statement, you might be able to live the life that you want to live independent from God, even as a Christian, but you could never live the life that God wants you to live mm-hmm. independent from God. Mm-hmm. And independence is one of those things that, especially for Americans, is <clears throat> we celebrate it. And 
and yet sometimes, especially spiritually, it is um, it is a detriment to our spiritual well-being. We are completely dependent on our relationship with God to live the life that He wants us to live, to bear fruit, to be uh, to not have a corrupting influence on people. And yet, I really think a lot of believers live mm, a lot of their lives in independence from God, refusing to submit to Him daily, to listen to Him, to sit at His feet like. Mary did in the story of Mary and Martha, and just listen to his word, to open their Bibles, <clears throat> to know their Bibles, to be able to know what God says and have wisdom from God. And so I know, Greg, you're a guy who understands relationship, relationship with God. You practice relationship with God. And I, and I know that because you talk about it a lot, and I hear it when you pray. You understand what it means to have a personal relationship with God. Sometimes people think dependence is negative. Maybe you talk a little bit about why it's not negative to be dependent daily on the Lord. Right. Well, and I, th- I think part of it for me is uh, recognizing that when I'm de- when I'm independent of God, I'm giving up the, a dependence on somebody who not only loves me more than anybody, but has a bigger plan for me than I can even see. I, this is my story. It, Betsy and I used to have a collie dog, border collie, and. We would take him places, but he got paranoid that we were going to leave him, so he wouldn't get out of the car. Well, we took <laughs> him to smart dog, smart dog. So we took him to Betsy's house, uh, parents' house, one time, and we were actually going to let him come in the house, which was a rare treat at, at at the Oliver household. You just didn't do that, but because it was cold out or whatever. But the dog was so convinced that we were going to leave him, but he wouldn't get out of the car. So we spent the night in the car instead of in the, <laughs> oh the warmth of our home. And I, oh, wow. I've just thought about that as saying, I, God loves me. And if, if, if I choose to be independent of him, then I'm missing out on this bigger plan that I don't even understand that I can't see, but that God is working in my life to give me a, a, the abundant life that he's called me to, but I'm independent, so I don't need him. I'm smarter than him. I got a better plan than him. I don't, I'll don't. i call you if I need you kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And we, we forfeit abundant life as only God from his perspective can see it. Man, that is the, that's great. That is uh, that trust. The dog didn't trust you, and he missed out mm-hmm. on a treat. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happens in our lives when we— are independent when our when our pride uh, causes us to maintain independence instead of dependence, mm-hmm. and some of that is just, I think, pride manifests itself in this idea of arrogance of, I can do this, I'm better than you at this. I who could be better than God at <laughs> running our lives? No one. But but how many people live that false narrative? Yeah, yeah, I got this, God. I'll call you when I need you. When I get something really. Bad, some a bad diagnosis or bad news, or then I'll really lean on God for and a little while. The truth is, you probably haven't built up that that trust through the little things that gets you to the point where you really have right. that confidence in the big thing. The big thing know? causes crisis well, in your I think faith. about you and you and Christy, if I can, you sure, know, Paul, sure, that sure. you guys had lived your lives in dependence on God in everything, small, large, and when things you know uh, took a turn that you weren't expecting, sure, you, you were there. Yeah, it, it, if you have, you're right. If you've built up, <laughs> if God's built up a track record with you, mm. and you've trusted Him and you've seen Him come through, it's kind of like, 
I've used this illustration before. It's like going to the bank and getting credit on your signature. <laughs> if you've had credit in the past, the bank is willing to take a chance at some point on you if you have a good track record of your credit. Well, at some point, you have to build up. God is always going to be faithful, so his his track record is really strong. But if you never give him a chance to prove it to you personally, you don't really have anything to draw on when the, hard, the really hard things happen in your life. You're right. I mean, cancer diagnosis is a very upsetting, you know, sort of shocking thing to deal with and thinking about what that means for the future and how we deal with that. And, and at some point, you just have to say, I can't answer any of those questions. I don't know the answer to any of them. I know today that God's going to be my father and he's going to be faithful and he's going to walk with me and I got to just live today. It takes humility to walk that walk, though. Yeah. To recognize that he is God and I'm not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Sometimes those things, though, have a way of breaking your pride like nothing mm -hmm. else because mm -hmm. you realize I really don't have much control over those things. So, you know, this idea of pride is very common. We, we see it in people. It's easier to spot in other people sometimes than maybe it is in ourselves, but it has just the same entangling effect. I made a couple of statements. I said, if you don't have a time every day where you sit down and give God FaceTime, then you're entangled in pride. Mm -hmm. If you uh, don't know your Bible very well, if you've been a Christian for many years, but you don't really know the Bible very well, you're entangled in pride. Mm -hmm. A lady came up to me yesterday and said, uh, well, I want to know my Bible better. I have been a believer for many years. And so I kind of talked about some tools to be able to do that. If you're a member of our church, we use Rottenell Media here. And there's a thing on Rottenell Media called the Bible Project, which is excellent. It has an overview, like seven-minute video of an overview of all the books of the Bible to kind of give you an idea of what they're about, who wrote them, why they were written, and context, those kind of things, which are so important. But the reality is, I told her, I said, the best thing you can do is just be in it. Read it over and over again, you know. There are many people that I know in our church who read through the Bible every year, sometimes multiple times. They're they just they're not spending their time on their phone or on a computer or on the TV or something else. They're spending a lot of their free time in the Word, and they know the Word. Be Betsy and I are, uh, and I don't say this to be bright because there have been many years where we haven't done this, yeah. but this year we're reading the Bible through at night. We sit down and we take turns, and there's kind of a plan and what have you. And and you talk about something that inspires your confidence in God and it helps you to see yourself as you really are and God as He really is. Like say, e even in the Old Testament, you know, when you're reading through chron Chronicles, okay, it doesn't sound exciting, but you're beginning to get a picture of how vast and how strong and how powerful and how good God is, and just the depravity of man. I mean, just yeah. I I know what I am, and uh, but I also know who I am in Christ. And you have to be in the Bible to know both those things. Yeah. Yeah, and it just they talk about the track record. That's sometimes how God helps you understand his track record too, is the way he's revealed himself mm -hmm. over the centuries through mm -hmm. his dealings with man in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned this idea on Sunday of because one of the ideas about independence is I said too, if you're if you're prayerless essentially, if you only pray when something bad happens in your life, then you're entangled in pride because you're living in that sense of independence. And then I talked about that I know one of the things because we're in this transition in our church, we're, we're about to begin a search for a new senior pastor. And that is a process that all of us ought to take very seriously. Many people and who are part of our church or members of our church will be able to nominate people who will serve on that search committee. That's a very important role. We ought to bathe that. We shouldn't nominate anyone we haven't prayed about. We should pray about that. And then as a church, 
I think it, it's a wise thing for us, maybe more than not, more we need to do this more often, and to gather together just to pray, not for another sermon or even a worship set necessarily. There's nothing wrong with either one of those two things, but sometimes just gathering together to pray. And I know prayer is one of the big things that you're involved in helping us stay focused on here at our church and with your 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 title that you're involved in, but from congregational care perspective, but Talk a little bit about that. We I don't know exactly how we're going to do that at Moberly, but I know that we need to do that, to take the time to corporately be dependent on God in prayer. And I, 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 we're looking at some ideas, and I don't know if we got a specific idea, but the, the, the ultimate hubris would be to say, God, we'll, we'll call you if we need you during this search process, during this transition oh, time. And so uh, to try to put together... Uh, some ways to teach us to be deeper in our prayer. I mean, I can get really shallow in my prayers if I, you know, God is great, God is good. If yeah. I'm not careful, I settle into routine. So something to deepen us in our individual prayer life. But I think you're right. There's something so powerful. Paul, you're part of a group that, that we get together with on Sunday mornings and just pray together. And on Monday mornings when we pray together as a staff, we'll get in groups of two or three and pray for the requests. That are, there's something relational. There's something deepening about me hearing you pray and being able to voice what I'm trying to share with God in front of you, with you. And so uh, our church needs to do that. And uh, so we're looking at some ideas that would, number one, help us deepen our individual prayer life, but number two, help us to come together at times and, and pray for the things that we know that as a church we have in common. We all care about who the next pastor is. Sure. We all care about the fact that Myberly continues to be a church that shares the love of Jesus with people. And so there's a lot to pray about. Yeah, pride and prayer don't really go together. <laughs> so, right. so prayer is a way to, and that's how I kind of want to wrap this up this afternoon is, Prayer is a way to sort of help us get untangled from the sin of pride in our lives. Uh, I mentioned at the end of the message on Sunday that really the only way to get out of this idea of being entangled by pride is through confession. Mm. It's through being honest and open about that. And I mentioned that I really, in the days ahead, along with us being dependent on prayer more and dependent on the Lord more, is I hope that we can create a culture at our church of confession Confession is a good thing. I think when you talk about creating a culture of confession, Paul, what what goes through your mind when you think about well, that? Well, uh, that our church should be a place where people would have the freedom to feel like they can confess to each other, even corporately. If we, like at the end of the message on Sunday, I said, if you want to, just as a an outward sign of repentance in your heart for some sense of pride that you've been entangled in, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and pray. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then I'm going to ask you to sit down in your seat where you are. And there were many people who took advantage of that. Some people are uncomfortable with any kind of outward display of, <clears throat> excuse me, of of something that's going on in their life because we we're we're so afraid. People, I think, I think this is what's going on. We're so afraid of what people are going to think of us. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to talk about that in the upcoming message. But <laughs> we're so concerned with what people think of us that we allow that to make our decisions for us. A culture of confession to me would be that the people of our church would say, I care more about being right with the Lord. And if that means I need to come to you and confess my sin to you, if I've offended you, if I've sinned against you, if I've been, in this case, prideful toward you, that's worth more. That's more important. Me humbling myself to you in front of you to ask for your forgiveness is more important than me maintaining some outward appearance of spirituality. 
not just going through the motions, but actually dealing with our sin. And, you know, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another, James says, so that you may be healed. I think there's merit in that. I think there's great merit, too, and sometimes just coming before the Lord and maybe coming down front. Um, we don't have time today, but I, I know lots of stories of how God's used confession in the life of one believer to spark a sense of revival in a church where people had not really been accustomed to being honest about, hey, I've sinned in this way in my life, and I want to ask you to forgive me. I haven't been the person you think I've been, and I want to ask you to forgive me. Just being confessional, not because... Um, I mean, I'm always a little uncomfortable with trying to lead, trying to say, Lord, forgive us of all our sins, because I can't repent for anybody but me. Yeah, I, you don't know my sins. <laughs> I don't. And I, and I can't. I don't know your heart and will. I don't know if you're ready to repent of that sin or not. So how could I say that? Um, I think it's an individual thing, but I do think that as a church, we got to get more comfortable being honest about, and that doesn't mean getting up and, you know, having a laundry list of sins you've been involved in necessarily and opening the microphone for that. There are other ways to do that. But I do believe that that if we had an opportunity for people to be, if, if individually our church members would, would, were more open to the idea of saying, I'm not just going to say I don't have it all together. When I blow it, I'm going to confess that. And maybe I'm finding an accountability partner, and I'm going to confess that to them so that there's this attitude of, I'm trying to do this differently. I'm struggling well against sin. I'm not just giving in to sin, whatever so the sin is. I think two words that go together key are repentance and confession. Confession, if we if it's just, oh, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry I got caught. Right. But, but true repentance is, I've changed my mind. I don't want this anymore. And so I want to share that with you in apology, maybe, but also in the sense that that there's an accountability there that my life is going to be different because I think differently now. And so, uh, you know, I think it's huge. And again, part of it is, is we've got to learn that <laughs> I don't, I don't need to hold you accountable to a standard that I'm not willing to hold myself to. In other words, if you come to me and confess, I don't need to, uh, test, you know, uh, say, well, shame on you for doing that. I need to recognize I'm a sinner too. <laughs> exactly. And so if we have that sense, it's easier to confess when we can love broken sinners who want to change. Sure, yeah. That's that's part of that culture of confession is that it's not, we're not condoning sin in any way, but we're saying, if you confess your sin to me, I'm going to meet you with forgiveness right. and grace. I'm, I'm not going to meet you with condemnation. I'm not going to stop loving Condemnation, you. yeah. I, I'm a sinner. I get it. I need, I need God's grace in my life every day. Right. So I'm not going to come to you with, wow, I can't believe you did that. Right. <laughs> or something else. I'm going to meet you with, you can know if you come to me and confess your sin to me, I'm going to forgive you. Right. Because um, my wife and I always tell each other that. We always told our son that growing up. If you, if you come to me with repentance... I'm going to offer you forgiveness instantly because that's what God does to me. So right. I, I have no place to hold a grudge against you. Um, if you're unwilling to come to me, that's a different story. But if you know you sinned against someone, then you can go to them, hopefully. So that's what I mean uh, about right. a culture of confession. Well, this has been a good conversation today, and I've enjoyed it, and I hope it's helpful to those of you who are listening, whether you lead a connect group or discipleship group, whatever your role is here at Moberly, or as you just influence people in your life, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. We hope that the Extra Point podcast will be something that God uses in your life in the days ahead. We'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship experience and gatherings on Sundays. Currently, we're meeting at 8 and 11 in person. Those services are also available online at moberly.org. Thanks for tuning in.